Hello and welcome to episode two of Civic Sound, where we talk life and leadership. My name is Jared, and today on the show, uh, we have Mr. Tony Wren from the Queensland Police Force joining us. Tony, great to have you on the show, mate. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate being here. Tony, uh, you've been a police officer for how long? 35 years. Can you believe that? Over three decades. Remarkable. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your journey, your story, how you got into the police force, um, where you're from, and uh, we'll take it from there. Sure, mate. Uh, essentially, I was an apprentice originally. I did a trade in actually making glasses, so for eyeglasses and that sort of thing. And it was going nowhere. It was interesting, but not really going anywhere. And I decided that I needed to do something with a bit more value. And quite literally, I was driving home one day, very, very, um, shall we say, annoyed with the world. And saw a police car going past and I thought, that'd be interesting. And so I looked into it, applied, got accepted, and I joined the South Australian Police back in 1985. Did a few things, got divorced, a few other little challenges, and decided it was time for another move. And I moved to Queensland in 1997. Worked down to the Gold Coast for 10 years, which was uh, quite the adventure. It, uh, there's, you just about saw everything down there. It was, it was good fun, don't get me wrong, but boy, oh boy, it was, uh, it was full on. And then in 2006, it came from time for another change and an opportunity came up here in Toowoomba and I took it. It was a promotion and it took me one step further off the road into a more uh, regional sort of corporate type of uh, understanding and position. And it's still involving around connecting with the community, but that was at a, a sort of like a, a supervisory type level. And then uh, I've been in this area ever since. However, in 2013, there was a major structural change and what it did was it eliminated that, that role and I ended up moving back closer to the community, still in that community engagement role, much the same as we've interacted a number of times, yeah. and put me back basically in the game, which has been kind of cool. So I've been doing that for about seven or eight years now. So yeah. So can I ask what a what a typical day looks like for Tony? Is it, are, you, are you on the beat or are you in the office? What does it sort of look like? Well, we might have to put context. Let's say a typical non-2020 day might, sure, be, right, yeah. might be a bit more relevant. But yeah. no, look, the major part of our role is community engagement. So yeah. exactly what we're doing right now, connecting with people, just, just communicating and educating and that sort of thing, but then also around uh, problem solving. So we will yeah. go and if, if there is a what we call a repeat call for service, little old ladies had a house busted into four or five times over a month or something like that or some other thing uh, – uh, culturally and linguistically diverse people are having some challenges so we will go and try and interact with those and try and do some problem solving around that that's generally where the role exists we do do operational shifts we do shifts where we go out on the street and actually help out where there might be something specifically uh, a big event or something yep. like that yeah obviously major challenges like bushfires and floods we've all been all hands to the pump on those ones but i was joking about 2020 because it's just basically changed the way that we operate because Obviously, in the first part of the year, there was no community events. We've missed out on Toowoomba Show. We've missed out on the Multicultural Festival. We've missed out on the majority of the Carnival of Flowers stuff yep. and a bucket load of smaller events all the way through there. So things where we would normally go, have a police car, hand out stickers, talk to kids, yep. you know, those sorts of things are all gone. So that was interesting. So we had to find a new way to actually still maintain that connection with the community so when they wanted something, they could interact with us and just have that it's like a soft opening, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you find in your role, Tony, um, I mean, a lot of people have got um, a lot of different opinions about the police and the police force. And most of them are right. <laughs> and the job that they do. Do you find in a lot of ways that um, you're able to break a lot of those perceptions down in terms of what police are like and we actually are here, as your motto suggests, to serve and protect? Yep, you betcha. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
one of the things that we used to love doing was actually going to evenings set up by Bunnings where they would do their, their community evenings and interact with the young people there. We've used their space to do road safety days and just interact with that. So people can actually see us in a light where they can come and ask a question. So we had a speed camera there, for example, and there was a line-up around that thing for an hour yeah. just wanting to know what it was all about. Now, it's one of the most primary enforcement tools you're ever going to see, but yeah. yet people want to know about it, and it did. It took away a lot of the mystery and a lot of the, the, the garbage around those sorts of things. I think my um, one of my earliest memories of, of you, Tony, I've known you for a number of years, is when you came and spoke to um, our youth group, couple of years back and uh, I'm not sure whether it was a prank teed up by the youth or whether you were just um, feeling a little bit nasty that particular evening but you put me in handcuffs and I was telling you just before we went to uh, air that uh, my wrists were hurting for for weeks if not months after that where how you actually put them in uh, like you would probably you know for a criminal so and I just want to state for the record that I wasn't actually being arrested Um, (laughs) I think it's important to put that in there. You're never going to let me forget that, no, are you? Definitely not, mate. Definitely not. Um, Tony, what's the most rewarding thing about your job? Probably interacting with the people. Yeah. And, and as you said, making that connection with the people where they actually get some understanding. We've had people that have gone through some pretty rough stuff. Mm. We've had some people that have been treated, I won't say badly by police, but we have uh, legislation, policy. There are things that we've got to do. For example, it's, it's quite a horrible topic, but a sudden death, for example, a mm. person collapses in a yard or something like that, we must treat that as being a murder Mm. or a very serious criminal offence and work our way backwards. We can't afford to escalate because we might mess something up at the start, which if it did turn out to be something bad there. So unfortunately when people interact with us and things like that, they might go, why are you being so, you know, straightforward about this? Why are you doing this? Well, we have to because if we stuff it up then... It's, it can stuff something up later. Like you and me walk into a job and there is a body laying on the ground there and, you know, the first thing we're doing is checking for life. Yeah. But then after that, we've got to turn this thing into a crime scene and yeah. then work our way backwards. Yeah. That person might have quite initially had a heart attack. Yeah. But we don't know that. Yeah. So yeah. when we're dealing with people like that, the, the, you know, the family, the friends, the neighbours and all that sort of business, we're very, very pushy. We're very – there's rules and regulations that must be observed. So consequently, when we, what's good about my job is that I can talk to people mm. like this, yep. answer questions, help them out. If I can't find an answer straight away, what I can do is I can provide them a contact and somebody that will listen to them, somebody that will connect with them. And you know, sometimes it's taken me three weeks to get back to them because I had to find out yeah. the information, but yeah. I've got back to them. Yeah, so great. that's probably one of the most rewarding things. 35 years as a police officer and, and 10 of those at the Gold Coast. Um, some of the most, I guess, uh, challenging things that you've seen or what's the most challenging thing that you have dealt with um, or continue to deal with as a police officer? Death messages around uh, my first ever job ever. I graduated on a Wednesday, started my first shift at 11 o'clock on the Friday night. At 20 past 11, we told a lady that her 17-year-old son had died. Mm. That was my first ever job in the police. Uh, And that delivering death messages is still very uh, difficult. Yeah. But I would actually probably think it's dealing with the attitudes of people that just don't get the idea that it's, what we're doing is not a personal attack. Mm. We are at an incident. I need you to go over there and move out of the way and keep out of the way of this particular person. Your personal feelings about what might be happening is fair enough, but that's not the time to do it. Yeah. You get in our way and then things just, you know, people with, a, with poor attitudes are probably the biggest thing we have to deal with. Yeah. 
um, you've lived here in Toowoomba for a number of years. Um, what do you love about this region um, and, and what makes you, I guess, get up in the morning, put on that uniform and, and continue to have that desire to serve it? It's, it's, this is, might sound a little bit odd, but I feel that anybody that has the ability to help has the responsibility to do something about it. Great. If, Love that. If, if I have something that I can do better than what you can do and it helps somebody, then I should be doing that to help them. Yeah. You know, if you've got something you can do better than me, then you should be doing that, and that's how I look at it. Uh, my ability is, okay, I have caught bad guys in the past. That's not where I shine. Yeah. I've gone out there. I'm still quite competent when it comes to street, but where I shine is interacting with people, yeah. connecting with people and helping them understand what's, what's going on in the world. Yeah. I think um, I, I, I love that idea where if you're passionate about something um, and, you, and, you, and you want to bring change, then don't just sit on the sidelines and criticise and whinge of, of what should be done or what could be done. Get into the game and, and serve your communicate serve your community and, and our senior pastor Brennan often has a saying that if you're part of something you participate you get involved and you help out in whatever space or whatever sphere that might be and um yeah. I, you know that that's very much what you've echoed there in terms of well, let let's work together to um create a better community you mentioned um 2020 and the the, the strangeness and the uniqueness. Yeah. Um, can I can I get a I guess a pick your brain in terms of from a from a police perspective, how has twenty twenty impacted how you guys operate? Um, what have you seen in terms of uh, human behaviour or trends? Has it has it got better? Has it got worse? Um, what are some of the things that you've observed over the course of this year? Sure, I'll step back one and uh, and answer the second part of your first question there about this community. What's so amazing? It because it helps with this answer. Toowoomba is a very unique community whereby at times of, of pressure, this community pulls together, right? Most Australian communities do. Yeah. Uh, but this one, I've seen some unique stuff. Here. The 2011 floods, which you were around for as well, there was some stuff being done there that was extraordinary. Yeah. We had people that were in rival businesses walking down the street asking each other, are you okay, mate? Do you need a hand? You know, normally they'd be cutting each other's throat to get a sale, but in this yeah. particular situation, when they've had a metre of water through shops and bits and pieces, they're going, do you need a hand? Are you okay? Are you safe? You know, so that's a very unique thing about this community. So bring that into a 2020 context. And I mean, I love the other idea somebody said to me, it's a, we now have a new definition of 2020 vision. I went, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll run with that. But it, it has provided unique opportunities. And, I mean, they, they, they say that times of war and times of pressure bring out the absolute best and the absolute worst in people, and we've seen that. Yeah. I would say within the Queensland sphere, we've seen absolutely everything you could possibly imagine from beautiful selfless acts to very selfish acts. And I think one of the most selfish things that we've had so far is people crossing the border or trying to sneak across the border and trying some of that dumb stuff inappropriately and that yeah. sort of thing. And we get the fact that there's pressure there and we get the fact that there's borders there and we're one of the most unique countries in the world whereby we've got a line down the middle of a town and there's a half a town on one side and half a town on the other side. It's a bit like Berlin back in, you know, 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, and, and there's people going backwards and forwards that would interact with that. I worked on the border at Stanthorpe for a week, and I mean, that was a real eye opener. Mm. There was a guy there that we could not let through on the road because he didn't have a Queensland pass at the time, mm. and yet he actually his farm, the nearest boundary of his farm was about five k's away. His back fence was actually the Queensland New South Wales border, so he could have gone down and just jumped his fence and kept on coming. Mm. So it was a very unique situation. 
2020 has provided us with a different way of looking at the whole world. Zoom. I don't think anybody could spell Zoom in 2019. <laughs> now everybody's got a Zoom account. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Skype is still around the place there. I don't know about you, but we've got Microsoft Teams. We've got Skype. We've got Zoom. We've got things going all over the place. Australia has a very – it's a very big country, and so distance is a problem. Our policing region, southern police region that I'm a part of, is actually bigger than Victoria. Wow. Nearly one and a half times the size of Victoria. So to reach out to our counterparts, you know, emails and social media and all that sort of stuff is absolutely huge. So we're, we're looking at that very differently. Um, a lot of people are doing the right thing. I will say that this community has been absolutely brilliant. When they talked about social isolation and, and, and staying at home and, and distancing, distancing is still a bit of a problem now that people are sort of a bit more relaxed. We've got people sort of in public spaces that are maybe not distancing as much as they should be. Yeah, Not crucial, but certainly we're watching that. Um, but when it came to the times of isolation, very much in the first, you know, February, March, April, when it really started hitting the fan, yeah. people were brilliant. Yeah. There was the odd party here and there. And there was some misunderstanding about what was allowed, you know, family at home and who yeah. can visit and that sort of stuff there. And most of that was handled quite well. Once people had it explained to them, they would comply, people would leave, people would do whatever they needed to do to comply properly. So generally pretty good. But, yeah, it's been quite extraordinary. And i tell you what, the pressure on all services, health, mm. education, us, uh, the, the ADF, the Defence Force, have, were absolutely brilliant, helping us out on the borders. They've now been deployed to do other tasks because there's other stuff happening as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the pressure on all of the government services there. Uh, the people of this area can be rest assured that the professionalism of the people that I've seen, the people I've worked with, is beyond anything I've seen. I mean, we are now putting people, particularly on our borders, in situations that they've never encountered before. We talk about senior police officers that have never, ever had a border closure like this before, and they go, what do we do? Yeah. So they've had to yeah. try and figure stuff out. So, yeah. Can I ask, uh, you, you mentioned um, that Stanthorpe example. I imagine there would possibly be a, a whole host of those kind of stories where uh, I guess common sense would think, you know, you could do that. How do you, I guess, as as a police officer to hold the integrity of the law, but you can also see where an individual's coming from. How do you sort of navigate that? Um, I get, it's not so much a moral dilemma, but you can see where the person's coming from, but you have a duty to uphold the law. How do you sort of process that internally and personally? The law is the law. It, and this, what we've got to realise this one is this one's not somebody has dictated that this shall happen because of some political reason. Yeah. This is a health issue. Yeah. We saw unfortunately, where somebody did something dumb down that Logan-Underwood area, those couple of ladies there, and for a while there, the bottom or the southeast of Queensland was looking under a lot of pressure. Yeah. You know, because that, fortunately, didn't get too bad. There was a problem, but it could if we hadn't jumped on it as fast as it had, yeah. it could have been disastrous. I mean, that's the biggest population in the eastern seaboard is over there, so yeah, quite disastrous. So it's a health issue. So the way we're rationalising it, most of us are going like, we're not talking about this just for some legal reason. This is if, say for example, that person that we let through the border was actually positive and then went on to infect a whole heap of community. Yeah. That's put a lot of people at risk. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, you think about, for example, the, the community of Harvey Bay. 
it tends to be an older community because a lot of people have gone there to retire. So can you imagine a positive getting into that environment mm. and then starting to affect that? Yeah. That could potentially put a bit... You yourselves have a, uh, a retirement village here. Yeah. If it got into there, that's just that's just going to wreak havoc. Yeah. So yeah. that's how we look at it. Seeing the bigger picture. Yeah, you betcha. Yeah. Um, you mentioned isolation and obviously there was a period of time there, particularly in Queensland, where a lot of people were at home. Um, and had to be at home for, for health reasons, whilst I guess the world was still figuring out just what we were dealing with. Um, I read a number of articles and, and heard a lot of reports during this time that um, uh, for some people it was great to have the family together um, and you know doing, doing stuff. And certainly I, I was able to observe um, even just at our local park, I'd never seen so many families getting together and just going for walks. And it was actually really, um, really great to, to sort of witness. But for other perhaps um, uh, people um, in, in certain sectors of society, it was possibly not a great time because um, through, through issues of family and domestic violence, it actually um, intensified and amplified these issues. Um, did you, I, I guess, from a policing perspective, um, see um, that increase? And also, did you see, um, because of the, the harsh economic climate at the time, there was a lot of uncertainty. It also drove a lot of desperation in people, which could have resulted and, and outworked with people I guess, not sticking to their value system and, and perhaps making some really poor choices. What did you sort of see across the, the cross-section of, um, of society in Toowoomba particularly? Sure. Strangely enough, what you're talking about with the dysfunctional family stuff around the domestic and family violence, around the world we observed that when the pandemic hit, yeah. there was some challenges around that. Strangely in Toowoomba, there wasn't straight away, which worried us a little bit. Not because we didn't believe it was there, but we just didn't see it. Yeah. I even sp- spoke closely with the uh, domestic and family violence coordinator at the time and uh, lovely lady, very switched on and very in tune with the community. She said, we haven't seen anything. Mm. We're not sure what's going on. We were, you know, she said, I'm not going to say it's not here, but we haven't seen anything. Yeah. We've since discovered that the nature of this community being what it is, um, there, there was still the domestic and family violence around there. We are not in a bad place. If you want to look statistically as a community, we are not in a bad place. We never have been. It's always here. Yeah. We are constantly working on it, but we're not talking stupid numbers. Yeah. But we didn't see a lot for a long time. And then what we found is that as people started to decompress from isolation, then it did start to emerge. And I won't say that there was, like, we went from not very much and then we, we saw a uh, a spike in reports and bits and pieces, but what we realised is that it almost came back probably around to what our normal standard would be. Okay. So we sort of had nothing and nothing, nothing. We're all, you know, you're looking over your shoulder, you know, that weird, like, what's going on? Yeah. And then it, it popped back up again. It's possibly a little bit higher, not humongously higher, but a little higher than what we would consider a normal or a standard because it is still, as you say, quite distressing times. Even functional families, when you're together 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you got to get onto each other's nerves at least some point, you know. Yeah. Like you know, and uh, my beautiful lady, for example, knows if I go out and shed, to leave me alone. <laughs> so that's you know, tiny time. <laughs> that's tiny time. Yeah, leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, and particularly if I'm working on a truck and it doesn't go well. Yeah. So, but I mean, the thing about it is, we haven't noticed that. Going back to your other thing, there, we actually did notice that there was actually a considerable drop in crime. Yeah. Right. And we, we, it took us a little while to try and figure out what that might be. But you remember also with the isolation, it was also you couldn't have more than two or three people in a, in a, in a grouping in public. And so what we found was that we were probably interacting with people a lot differently. Yeah. 
I see, you know, you and a couple of your other co-workers in a group of, say, four or five, walking down any one of the major streets in Toowoomba, and you're only supposed to have two or three at a time. Yeah. Oi, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Right? And we were just talking to people a lot more. So it was kind of a bit strange in that regard. Yeah. Then also, as I said to you, there was not a lot of the major events around the place there, so we weren't committed to other things, so we were sort of floating around. Um, as people have come out of isolation, our, our crime figures have, have sort of eased back to what we would call a normal sort of standard. Yeah. Um, again, we're not in any great peak of crime or anything, but we're back to probably what we were mid-2019, something yeah. like that. Yeah, okay. Can I take you to the events uh, that occurred some months ago um, overseas in the United States? Um, the, the name George Floyd would obviously and the up. Black Lives Matter whole thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep. Yep. What, I guess I mean that was that was broadcast to the world. Um, what's sort of going through your head as a police officer when you're watching that kind of footage? But then I guess beyond that, when you start to see a lot of the protests, a lot of the riots um, in America, and obviously some of that has translated here um, to, to Australian soil. Um, how how have you guys sort of um, or how have you um, process that, internalise that, dealt with that? Um, is, it, is it something that's going to be ongoing? Is it, is it obviously something that we need to continually have on our radars? Well, I'll take the first bit. Looking at that footage and, and what you saw there, I was absolutely devastated. No thinking person would do what they did. I don't care if you're a police officer or whether you're a motor mechanic it makes no difference yeah anybody that had half a brain would realize that if you're harming somebody in that way that that was just that was off the reservation that one um and we've looked at that our our operational safety training people have looked at that and we would not condone any of that sort of behavior and uh i mean when you when you are in a confrontational situation with an offender it is a very odd situation because you're dealing with a very upset person, mm. a person that for whatever reason is not wanting to comply. So it's never a predictable thing. So I will never sit here and say that we won't end up rolling around the ground because yeah. just sometimes you lose your footing, they lose your footing, it just goes to custard. Yeah. But what they did, once it, it, that thing had slowed down enough to realise what was going on, they had plenty of opportunity to stop that and they didn't do it. So really, without sort of second-guessing what happened there, that was a deplorable situation. What that sparked in America was something that I think was it's, – it's an interesting cultural understanding. Yeah. I don't think it could have been quite as graphic had it not happened at a different time Yeah. Um, because there was there was a lot of people at home. There was a lot of people – there was a lot of people with social media watching what was going on. I think that footage had gone around the world within 48 hours or so, yeah. some silly figure like that. Bringing that to Australia, and first of all, the other thing I would say to you is I don't think that their reasons for protesting are wrong. I don't like perhaps the way they did some of it, where they went about some of that sort of stuff, some of the ongoing violence where you actually had some of the protesters were harmed, some of the security guards, were some, you know, like pe- innocent people, people just standing going, hey, stay on that side of the line, yeah. got harmed. I mean, that, that's, that's just crackers. We had protests in Australia. We had a couple. We had a big one in Melbourne, a big one in uh, Brisbane. I'm not sure about Sydney. I can't quite recall, but I know we had a couple of big ones. And uh, probably the biggest concern about that particular time was it was in the middle of COVID. And we're saying stay away from each other. And then all of a sudden they put ten thousand people in the small space. It's sort of wow. That was had us a bit worried. Yeah. Here locally, we did have a couple of protests that were organised. At the end of the day, to the best of my knowledge, there was only one big one that got organised in Queen Park, Queens Park, and I think that there was possibly. Uh, five, seven hundred people, I think, from memory. Don't quote me on that number, but it was a fairly big group. Yeah. 
and our guys, our, our senior management, had connected with the uh, arrangers of the, the organisers of those events, and the organi- and the uh, some local respected Aboriginal people as well, and just talked to them about it. And said, okay, look, fair enough. We get you know, you're right to protest. We're not. We're, we're worried about the health concerns. Yeah. We're also worried about behaviour that spill out in the road and those sorts of really basic safety concerns. But go for your life. And because we had that conversation and those sorts of, our bosses did quite well and the organisers did quite well, they walked through Queen's Park, they had their banners up, they got their media, they had their interviews and their, their photographs and bits of bits. So they got their point across, but everybody uh, stayed safe. And strangely enough, as best you could within that group, they actually distanced quite well. Yeah. They, you know, it wasn't perfect, but they did quite well given, and it was in a park. Yeah. I mean, if it had been in a hall somewhere, that could have been a problem. Yeah. Uh, so that wasn't too bad. Ongoing, we in this community here, and I'll come back to this beautiful Darling Downs community that we have. We are actually a still a bastion of giving people a fair go. Mm. We don't care whether they're black, white, brindle, male, female, you know, good looking, ugly. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are. We're about giving people a fair go in this community, and we are one of the biggest refugee settlement areas in Australia. We we actually last year took as many as what Brisbane took. Yeah. Now, they were the Yazidi people coming in because that's what was coming in. But if you look back over the last 25 years, we've had Sudanese and Congo were the major ones, but we've got over 15 different identifiable African communities in this. We've got Sierra Leone, Uganda, we've got Ethiopia, we've got Kenya. We've got, you know, and they're only little pockets. There might only yeah. be 50 of them, but we've got a bucket load of Africans here of different nationalities. North and South Sudanese, which is kind of, you know, that's almost two you know, countries. Yeah. And so we've been very accepting of those. We have young people now, second and third generation of those African people that were born here, that are working at Woolies, that are doing studies in USQ and going to high school. So they're just, they're just part of the community, same as everybody else. And I think on both sides, that's, that's quite well accepted. So we're in a, in a good place. However, that doesn't mean that as a police service, we can afford to not be vigilant about what's going on. Mm. I mean, if, if and I, I touch wood and... You know that we have another incident overseas, something like that. The ability for these people to get upset again is mm. just is always there, and quite rightly so. Yeah. If you want to just talk about racism for a moment, the understanding that racism still exists in this country is necessary for us to actually be able to do our business. I personally would not consider myself to be a racist. However, I'm a white Anglo-Celtic middle-class male. Mm. I am dead smack in the centre of being the racist. Mm. I am institutionally racist because everything I do and everything I say is set within very Anglo-Celtic, British-based rules. Yeah. So a lot of our stuff doesn't necessarily suit other nationalities, so we have to be very aware of that. So it comes back to that conversation. Yeah. We, well, pre, pre-COVID, we used to have monthly meetings with different nationalities and go, hey, sit down, what's going on yeah. in your world, you know? What's happening? What is it? And I mean, it's as simple as perceptions about how to get a driver's license, mm. how to get to school, how to spend money, how to use an ATM. Things like this challenge people that are not from systems the way that we are. Yeah. We were born in this. Yeah. I actually put an Afghani lady who was 80 years old, only been in Australia for about four months, into the PCYC driving simulator. And she was having, couldn't speak a word of English. And the only person in the world that could communicate it with her was her granddaughter. Mm. And she was having a great time. She was running over trees and all sorts of things, having just an f- absolute wow of a time. And it really was interesting to listen to her talk about it. 
she'd never ridden in a car until she'd come to Australia and she's 81 years old. Wow. So yeah. you talk about that, our systems are so vastly different. So yeah. when we across the table, what's happening in your world? What do you need? Yeah. How do you do that? And that's how we are managing what you're talking about. And that's why, to this point, and again, touch wood, we haven't had such an incident. And I would, I would be astounded if the Queensland Police ever did something similar to what they did. Yeah. And if they did, I'd be the one stringing them up. Don't you worry about that. Yeah. But the interesting thing is I would say as an organisation, and particularly as a district, we are connecting with people. We are communicating with people. We are being there and saying, hey, all right, yeah, we stuffed that up. How do we fix it? Yeah. Or, no, we did that good. Let's, let's do that again. Yeah. And that's where we're at. So that communication is important, mate. Do you think um, you think distance, in a sense, plays a huge factor in, I guess, um, racism and, and understanding um, people from different backgrounds and different diversities? I know for me personally, um, I'm involved with my local football club and, and we're located in North Toowoomba. And so as such, we have a lot of uh, Syrians um, and I've had the, the pleasure and privilege, and I really mean this, of, of coaching some Syrian boys. And, um, you know, it's not until you, I guess, get proximity to someone that you actually start getting passionate about it. Whereas if you're at a distance, often your view of them can be quite distorted. And, um, you know, I, I, I regularly um, have conversations with the dad. He loves his football and oftentimes he's trying to tell me how to coach the team. But, um, but, but it, it's, it's great fun. And, and um, the, these boys, I mean, I don't know everything that's happened to them um, before they came to Australia, but tremendous young guys, absolutely a barrel of laughs. And my, my perception of, of who they are has dramatically changed because I eliminated the distance. I didn't stand back. I got close. I got within proximity and found out a little bit about who they are and what they're about. And, um, you know, I'm not sure what they think of me, but I would absolutely classify them as, as, as uh, great mates. And um, I, I love that they're part of this um, community and love that they're part of this country. We have an amazing tapestry in this, this society, don't we? We have over probably 15, 18% of our population are actually of non-English speaking background. So you think about all those different things that can be. If you have a look at a tapestry, a tapestry is not like a like a woolen jumper. It's actually made up of different threads, different colours, yeah. different weaves, different directions and all sorts of it, and it makes it stronger. So that's what we've got and exactly what you're saying about being close. I always remember a story our mayor, Paul Antonio, says about domestic violence. He said he grew up in a beautiful family, a loving, respecting family in bits and pieces, and it wasn't until he became an adult mm. and in, in the public eye that he actually discovered that such a thing happened. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's become a very passionate um, uh, campaigner, if you will, under White Ribbon and, yeah. and other things about violence against women being prevented. Right? Yeah. So same thing as what you're talking about. They talk about familiarity breeds contempt. Well, I don't think so. I think if familiarity goes, okay, if I see you and start as humanity, mm. we're humans. Let's just figure everything else out after that, yeah. right? And then and work, about, work out where we're going. Uh, I don't consider myself to be a, um, a, any particular religious bent. I probably have some Christian principles is where I start. I mean, let's face it, the Ten Suggestions are awesome rules. <laughs> I mean, if everybody actually followed all those rules, I'd be a traffic cop because nobody can drive because everything else would be covered. But the interesting thing around that to me is that we start about human. I don't mm. care whether you're Islamic, Buddhist, whether you are Yazidi being the religion that they are. Um, you know, I might have a bit of problem with Ku Klux Klan. Those guys are a bit weird. But, you know, everything else, you know, it, it's about humanity. Yeah. 
you know, we all bleed the sun. We start there. That's where it is. So yeah. that's where that connection comes yeah. in. And you think about the needs of every human being are about security, being wanted, being connected, those sorts of things. So the footy club, mm. they belong to something bigger than they do. They belong yeah. to something they believe in. Yeah. And that's something you can share and, and, and much the same. My beautiful lady runs a dance school, as you're well aware. Yeah. And we have, we've had every nationality known to man come through that place as, as over the 15 years. Do you dance, been. Tony? Very badly. <laughs> very, very badly. And I'm surprised you haven't witnessed that, but that's yeah. another story. Um, but, yeah, same, similar sort of thing. As you say, we, we've seen some of those uh, migrants have actually come in there. We've had African kids there. They come in, they do their bit, they drift off and stay yeah. with us for a couple of years and, and, and take from it what they want. But I think that that's where the, the clue is saying hi. Yeah, language is a problem. And yeah. I mean, I must admit that with the Yazidis coming in, they have been one of the biggest language challenges we've had ever since the Africans first got here. When the Africans first got here, they come from a different, um, a different whole paradigm about life and education and everything. You're talking about sport. There was no such thing as organised sport in many of the African communities. If you wanted to kick a ball, you did it under the tree down the end of the road there. There was no football fields. You didn't have training. It was just opposite. So when they come here and being offered the opportunity to join a, a club, mm. what do you mean we've got to go to training on Wednesday? What are you, like, yeah. what, what are you about? So they yeah. didn't understand it. Yeah. Um, interesting with the Yazidi group, for example, some of those people are, have, have an amazing intelligence. You know, They're quite smart people, but little education. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of them, if they did have education, largely that was in Arabic by Islamic-based people because that's where the education lie. Yazidi, uh, Kurdish Kumanji and the other two dialects are actually not written. They are actually a spoken dialect, much the same as the Aboriginal people, right? Many Aboriginal languages are not written down. That's why they're lost. So if you have an educated Yazidi or Kurdish person, a lot of the time they're actually educated in Arabic. Mm by the people that were actually persecuting. So it's kind of a weird situation. Yeah, so yeah. then you get those people that maybe didn't get that education, particularly if they come from some of the hills area, and we're throwing them into a school. Mm. They're 13, 14 years old. They're illiterate in their own language. They can speak their own language. They're not stupid people. Mm. But we're throwing them into a classroom with books and expecting them to learn English, and they don't even understand how to learn in their own like, country, yeah. in their own language. Yeah. So it's very, very challenging. So until you get to know these people and understand where they're going... Yeah, absolutely. Several years ago, mate, you uh, you spoke at one of our Sunday services. I'm not sure if you recall it. And um, one of your one of your last parting thoughts um, to to the church and to the community was um, go and paint your colours. In other words, you know, you, you you guys have got something here, and 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 go and do something with it. Um, I wonder, as we finish up today, whether you would, if there would be anything, I guess, given the year that we've had and, and you know, um, heading into a, a new year shortly, if there'd be anything, I guess, practical um, that you would love to leave us with in just encouraging us how we can continue to serve one another, um, serve the community. I love what you said just before about just seeing people as human. I think that's a great place to start. Um, I think we've we've lost the ability to have a conversation. We've lost the ability to disagree um, Respectful, honor, respectfully, respectfully and, yeah. and honourably. It, it often just yeah. you know descends into chaos and name calling and, and whatever else. But I wonder if there's anything else that you could give us with um, just from what you've seen and and knowing that you knowing the church community that we have here um, of how we could just continue to serve our community, work for a better community. Mate, there's a famous guy who's now passed, I lost him in 2014 by the name of Zig Ziglar. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Yeah. Amazing guy. I love his audios and stuff. 
And he talked about um, progressing and, and people becoming rich and entrepreneurial. And he said, there was never times so good that somebody didn't go broke. Yeah. And there was never times so bad that somebody didn't make money. Yeah. Now, he was talking about people moving themselves forward and taking their own family from poverty into success and stuff like that. And, he was, and that was part of a whole – and he used that line a number of times. And I listened to him quite a lot because what he was talking about was the fact that we view a situation – everybody's – I – it's a glass half full, glass half empty type of thing. Right. There's, there's people in this world that go, oh, whoa, COVID, mom, you know, you know, they might as well just go and curl up in a corner because that's their attitude. Yeah. Then there are other people going, yeah, okay, it sucks doing what we're doing right at the moment, but how do we do it that differently? Yeah. How do I reach out and how do I connect people? So what I encourage everybody wherever I can, the kids that we mentor on Saturdays and other kids that I do mentor in other situations and I share with you as my friend is the fact that we have a different world, right? Mm. Now, here's the interesting thing. A lot of people didn't like 2019 and couldn't wait for 2020 to get here. Sorry. Strange enough, you talk to those people, they would like to go back to 2019. <laughs> Let's have another yeah, go. Absolutely. Um, but we can't do that. Yeah. I mean, you can't even change what you have for breakfast. Yeah. So if you can't change what you had for breakfast, how can you change the rest of the world? We have to deal with the moment that we've got here right now. So what in Correct. this moment have we got? What is it we can do now? What is the entrepreneurial thing that we can do now that's going to either help you? What can I do to help you? Yeah. Right? What can you do to help is I, what can you do to help somebody else? If you have that ability, then you have that responsibility, like we said before. But look for the opportunities. And it might not be big. Yeah. It might not be big. It might be that person on the side of the road that's homeless. And they're not homeless by any choice. They've, they've gone through a DV situation. In this current situation, they've lost jobs. Fly and fly out workers. I don't know about you, but that's just, it's just things just not the custard out of those guys in a big way yeah so you know you have some of those guys there they're on the side of the road they're living in their car and you go mate what's the situation and what's your story yeah and they go well this is a situation where I'm, look you know i've got a spare room at my place yeah now i'm not advocating you take everybody in but there's an opportunity for you there to give that person a chance yeah. right or they say i don't know where to go, and you go look i know who to bring so you, you can actually give them lifelines number or you you buy them a coffee and then give them lifelines number yeah. or something yeah. but find those little entrepreneurial moments where you can actually make an effect in people because i'm a very strong believer in the ripple effect yeah you know you yeah. help that person there get further on there and the other interesting thing is that um, i always take the example of uh, thomas edison who's credited with the, with the producing the light bulb interesting man and he's a, there's a lot of really interesting stuff there's a lot of um different sides to him right okay some people don't like him some people do but the interesting thing he didn't actually create the light bulb right other people had discovered the principle behind the light bulb. Yeah. He's the one that made it work, yeah. right? So he actually took other people's experience and built it on top of it. So I advise people that you have an amazing setup here. Civic Church is an incredible organisation. You have a good leader that actually has a community spirit. You've got people like yourself, pastors all the way through the place that have a community spirit. Build on that. Yeah. Talk yeah. to your people. What do we need? What can we do? Yeah. Your people will be out there. They'll know. And Civic Assist, awesome group of people out there in the street doing some amazing stuff. There's a classic for a start. Yeah, absolutely. Sergeant Tony Wren, I want to thank you for joining us uh, today for episode two of Civic Sound and uh, trust that you've enjoyed uh, today's podcast, wherever you're listening, maybe on the way home, maybe at, uh, at home, wherever you are, we have trust that you've enjoyed it and we look forward to uh, seeing you again real soon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jared.